Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. My goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The best. Relentless refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the Fantasy Flex Podcast, the NFL Regular season is done. We had a wild 18-week roller coaster. And today, we are very excited to take a look back on the highs and lows of another fantasy season with longtime friend of the podcast, NFL insider for ESPN and co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, Field Yates. Field, what's going on? How are you guys? Always good to be back on with you and a lot to talk about. During the preseason, we have lots to talk about as well, but everything is projecting. Now we get to reflect a little bit and figure out where we went right, where we went wrong, because believe it or not, we did have a couple of things that we didn't quite size up accurately during the preseason and uh, certainly lots to digest and some lessons learned along the way. Yes, sir. So uh, let's let's jump right into it. We're going to go. Let's go position by position here okay. and uh, field. I'll start with you and Sean, feel free to chime in. Uh, as well but uh, let's start with quarterback who were uh, some your biggest surprises or breakouts at, at the QB position field so I would start by saying that I think this year was one of the duller years for quarterbacks in recent memory uh, as we have long talked about there's this great depth at quarterback right you could wait until the 14th round and land yourself a solid Kirk Cousins level quarterback who was going to be within four and a half points per game of the highest scoring quarterback, or at least somewhere in that neighborhood. This year, we found that such was not the case. As far as season long breakouts go, there really was just one who I think if you picked him up after week one, you felt was like above the proverbial Mendoza line of starting quarterback level in fantasy. And that was Geno Smith. He ends up as quarterback five for the season, which is still crazy for me to think. But he was well behind the Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allens of the world on a points per game basis. Uh, less than fewer than 18 points per game for Geno. So a, a solid season, no doubt, uh, but not necessarily a you know an all star fantasy season. Uh, and then Justin Fields, who when he was great, was like almost all time great. But it took a while for us to get there. And obviously he get he got hurt. Uh, on multiple occasions down the stretch where you were concerned about him missing time. So uh, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence come in, uh, come to mind as like the biggest breakouts, excuse me, uh, Justin Fields and Geno Smith come in, uh, come to mind as the biggest breakouts of this year, Chris, but in very different shapes and forms, right? Justin could, he, he may have been the MVP of your team, even if he only gave you eight starts. Uh, Geno Smith was probably not the reason why you won your league. If you won with Geno Smith, mm. it was that you drafted wisely around Geno and made the pivot from a Brady or a Wilson or a Stafford or a Rogers early on in the year to Geno. And that was the formula to success. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, Gino, it was more, it was kind of a consistent thing that there wasn't a huge, like the huge spike games that you got from Justin Fields. Uh, Sean, any, anybody to add there? Uh, no, I, I'm in line with that. Obviously, the biggest surprise is Gino because, you know, his ADP was QB 35. Uh, we didn't really know if he was going to start beyond uh, week one. If you remember, we thought Drew Locke might be making a start. So it has to be Gino all the way, finishes a QB five. And like Field mentioned, he was a great um, backup option. Like leagues where I had Trey Lance, I ended up picking up Geno Smith and he did help me win a championship in one of those leagues. So um, he was a big surprise and just a huge help for teams that picked him up early on. All right, Field, let's pivot to bus guys yeah. that just, I mean, completely just blew yours, disappointed. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I think there is one that stands above the rest, which is interesting when you think about the years of Russell Wilson and Tom Brady uh, and Matthew Stafford, who got hurt, and even Lamar Jackson, who prior to his injury, which was forever ago, Lamar was red hot to the first three games of the season and then just tapered off dramatically. But to me, the most obvious bust is Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, who ends up playing all 17 games this season and doesn't hit 20 fantasy points in a single game. And think about some of the soft spots that Rodgers had in the fantasy playoffs where you're thinking to yourself, all right, this could be the week in which Aaron Rodgers turns it on. You even go back to week 13. They play in Chicago against the Bears under 14 fantasy points. They go into their late bye. They draw the Rams on the other side. of That's Monday night football, which the Rams were a different defense by that point. 10.86 10.86 fantasy points. Christmas Day at the Dolphins. They, I mean, everybody can throw on the Dolphins, right? 13.32 fantasy points. Well, at least you get the Vikings in week 17. 16.56 fantasy points against the Vikings. And by the way, that was because he had a two-yard rushing touchdown. And then the Lions in week 18, which, <clears throat> excuse me, if you did play all the way until week 18 this season, you got 11.2 fantasy points. Rodgers never hitting 20 fantasy points was bad enough but also letting you down to such a critical moment late in the year when people are having to make their pivots, whether it was from a guy who got hurt or you know Justin Field being unavailable late in the season, Lamar Jackson being unavailable late in the season, quarterbacks just not being good for the entire season. To me, it feels like Rodgers is the bust of the quarterback class. So here's my question. Are we giving Tom Brady a pass because he put up like the 36 in in the championship or because I feel like he was kind of right there in terms of, you know, one of those goats who people drafted just feeling like he was going to have a high floor and the guy just really no shows for most of the season. Yeah, that's a very fair. I mean, like Brady definitely is in the case like or is in the is in the running. It's weird to think about Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers being in the running for an award that has a negative connotation. Uh, Because you look at the the, the full season points per game gap, and it's nearly two fantasy points, 16 to 14.1. But a lot of that obviously is attributable to that breakout game for Brady in week 17. Yes, I would agree that Brady uh, is right there in the mix as well. I just feel like anecdotally, there were more soft spots for Rodgers that we kept pointing to as the potential breakout game, and they just never occurred. And for those reasons, I think Aaron Rodgers takes the slight edge, but They've got company too, right? I mean, Russ does not deserve a pass given the fact that his breakout games came to the final two weeks of the season. Even Derek Carr was a trendy sleeper pick. I was certainly in on Derek Carr. He had less than 15 fantasy points per game this year. There were a lot of quarterbacks that let you down, which made the rise of Justin Fields that much more valuable this season. Yeah, and a kind of honorable mention I'll throw out there just before we move on. Justin Herbert didn't really have (laughs) a ton of of monster games either. I mean, he was middle of the pack's 17th in – well, 15th in points per game scoring, but I uh, certainly expected more from him as well. Totally. And obviously, and with I, I tell people this all the time. 
is that there is value and there's also like some real danger in looking at end of season numbers, right? Because end of the season, you're going to sit there and say, wow, Justin Herbert, 25 passing touchdowns. Like that's good. Right. And by the way, um, that's like, I think it was like seventh in the NFL. Like that's a pretty reasonable amount, right? Weeks 13 through 16, when you needed Justin Herbert in a big way, he had a total of two touchdown passes. He had two games with 8.72 or fewer fantasy points, including in week 16, semifinal week, where he had 5.5 against the Colts on Monday night. So not all fantasy points are created equally, and I feel like Herbert's a good example of that. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get into running backs. Uh who, did, who surprised you this year uh, at running back field? Yeah, so I think there are different tiers to running backs just because it's a matter of where you were drafted. I think that Josh Jacobs is in that tier of guys that broke out and was amongst the very best that I would not – we all knew about Josh Jacobs. Like I thought – I think I, I believe – I have to go check this. I think I had him at RB18 coming into this season, which was probably in line with industry average, and he finishes obviously the third highest score in running back on a – points per game and total basis for this year. So Josh Jacobs getting the volume that he did uh, and just executing basically and finishing all of his goal line opportunities, that certainly paid off. You go down to the next tier, um, guys that we knew had talents but were lodged into a potential workflow or potential two-man backfield, Ramondre Stevenson and Tony, and Tony Pollard, right? Both those guys, um, like Ramondre impressed as a rookie. Tony Pollard kind of always impressed when he got opportunities. They were both awesome this year different ways you know Pollard still continued to split work with Zeke who kept scoring all the touchdowns but Tony Pollard was so explosive had so many big plays both in the passing game and as a runner as well and then Stevenson we always thought like hey a Bill Belichick offense is never going to have just one guy especially with Damian Harris still in the fold well between injuries to Damian Harris and then just the play of Ramondre Stevenson kind of the only thing that made the Patriots worth watching on offense this year he had a breakout season as well then you get down to like lower tiers of guys who I'm not so sure that it was like ever going to be sustainable past this season, but they made it through this entire year, right? Like Jamal Williams, like if you had him on your yeah. team, you play in non PPR formats, especially like leading the NFL and rushing touchdowns is not nothing. Even if there were weeks in which you were fearful of 15 carries for 47 yards and zero targets and zero touchdowns and an absolute dud in, in PPR scoring. Yeah, I mean Jamal Williams was going to be the guy that that, mm. that I mentioned. I mean, Sean, uh, any thoughts on on who who is who is it for you? Because it's certainly Williams for me. Even though I was kind of high on him coming into yeah. here, I had no idea it was going to be seventeen rushing touchdowns those, and a thousand yards. Those leader carries, you called that for sure. But <laughs> uh, my breakout and you know surprise candidate was Ramondre Stevenson um, as well. Uh, you know, he emerged as a workhorse back pretty early in the season, if you remember. Uh, the first game Damian Harris missed, he went all the way up to number one in my rankings and he finished number one that week. So it just goes oh, wow. to show his massive upside uh, when he's the workhorse back. And eventually, once Damian Harris did return, it didn't even matter. Stevenson was still a top 10 back. I know Belichick loves him. So heading into next season, I think he's going to be a surefire top five, top 10 back. So he was by far my favorite breakout this year. All right, let's go to busts. Uh Always a lot of bust at the running back position field. So I <laughs> uh, just let it, just get us get us started. Start, right. Yeah. All right. So I don't want to be unfair to him because he was good for a stretch, but I think everybody is going to point to Jonathan Taylor first because basically the one thing you count on for Jonathan Taylor, beyond the fact that he was very talented, was his durability and that reared itself. And it's going to make me rethink how I talk about running backs with zero injuries in their rearview mirror going forward, right? Because this is two out of three years where one 
of the reasons why you drafted a guy is the consensus 1.01 was he'd never missed time before. Christian McCaffrey, this was the same argument a few, years, a few years ago. But Jonathan Taylor probably feels like the player that leads the way in terms of fantasy busts amongst running backs. And then number two is maybe a debate. Because for, I don't know, 75% of the season, he was a colossal bust. And then for the final five weeks, he was terrific. And that's Cam Akers. So I don't know if I feel like I got vengeance because Cam Akers was awesome down the stretch or if I just totally whiffed on this one. But his last five games were truly absurd, right? Maybe it was six games, but he went down the stretch and had back-to-back-to-back 100-plus yard finishes in his final three games. Did not have a ton of passing game involvement, but he kept, he held off Kyron Williams, who we thought could be a useful pass catcher for the Rams. Obviously, Daryl Henderson is no longer there. And I think the big takeaway for Cam Akers with me for this year is that, all right, I whiffed. I screwed up. I didn't think he would ever get to the point where he was going to potentially be cut or traded by the Rams. But I now think going forward that if you look at this offense in future years, and there's so much it's uncertain at the time of this conversation, but let's just imagine a world where Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup are back and they make sort of reasonable uh, investments going forward. Like Cam Akers could be the guy next year in LA. And I could see him as a top 25 back going into 2023. Yeah, you know, Akers, I think, I, and I would consider him a, a bust because you drafted him probably, what, second, third round, and he yeah. didn't get a – he had one double-digit uh, fantasy game before week 13. So, I mean, he, the person who drafted him was not the person probably even benefiting uh, from his his breakout down the stretch. Yeah, but, he was a bust for the person who drafted him and a sleeper slash steal for yep. the person that grabbed him off waivers. Uh Anyone else? Uh, anyone else? Yeah, this one's unfair, about? but, you know, J.K. Dobbins, uh, just because, you know, he obviously was hurt, but, you know, that there were some who were all in on J.K. Dobbins. Uh, the, the two things that, that were uh, concerning for me coming into the season was obviously the knee, <clears throat> and, you know, J.K. was very outspoken on Twitter about how he was going to be back. He wasn't going to go on PMP. He ended up obviously missing some time early in the season. But the other red flag, and this is just, like, this is, what, year five for Lamar Jackson, so basically four and a half years of starting, is that, whether it's because of the system, whether it's because of Lamar's preference or what, he doesn't throw the ball to running backs. He doesn't do it. Like there's been like one running back that has made an impact as a receiving back uh, for the Ravens over the past five years. And like much of that production came when Joe Flacco was still a starter. And that was five full seasons ago. So uh, I think that was Buck Allen, by the way, Javorius Buck yep. Allen, USC <laughs> legend. So um, it's been a long time since they back had like 50 receptions for the Ravens. And it just puts a dramatic cap on how good that player can be. Even if he's averaging like seven yards per carry, which is where JK Dobbins was down the stretch. It doesn't matter, right? Like he could have 15 carries for 56 yards. If he gets one target, he is extremely unlikely to be a top 25 finisher that week. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's, you know, running back target rate is inversely correlated with a quarterback scramble rate. Like it just yeah. seems like the quarterbacks who scramble, I mean, look at Hertz, you know, Miles Sanders doesn't get a ton of love right. in the past game. Uh, you know, only pretty much only Saquon because he's Saquon and, you know, they have to feed him the ball. In yeah. New York, and and but... then to your point though, right? Like who's the most statuesque quarterback in the NFL, Tom Brady and which two running backs down the stretch. We're both getting like six targets a game. Rashad White and Leonard Fournette. Yeah. Uh, Sean, any other busts? Uh, yes. Out? Yeah. This one's personal for me because he's a back uh-huh. target every year. Uh, and that's got to be Kareem Hunt. Um, you know, Ooh, as you know, yeah. I love targeting running backs in that range. You know, Stevenson, Tony Pollard, 
Hunt, uh, Dylan, AJ Dylan, yeah, AJ, AJ Dylan was fine this year, but yeah, he was kind of a bust as well. But I love backs in that range because they're they're going to offer weekly, you know, RB three flex value, but have top five upside if the starting running back were everyone this time. So you know, Nick Chubb was healthy all season; he played all seventeen games, so we didn't get that injury upside game from Hunt. But even when Chubb was healthy, you know, Hunt's role was really diminished this year. You couldn't really trust him at all in your lineup. So that's why, you know, he probably didn't kill you based on his draft capital, but you did miss out on Pollard, Stevenson, Miles Sanders, Kenneth Walker, Damian Pierce in that range. So it was a bit of an opportunity cost taking him in the mid round. So, uh, you know, I take him every year, but th- this might be the last year I target him there. It's Kareem Hunt. It could have been worse. It could have been Melvin Gordon. That's true. <laughs> true. 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 <laughs> uh, all right. Wide receivers field. Who you got for your yeah, breakouts? This- Uh, This one's interesting because uh, it's obviously the deepest position in fantasy. And again, you kind of have to look at it through tiers. I don't know that I can call Amon Ross St. Brown um, a breakout player, but I I thought I was optimistic on Amon Ross coming into the season. And I probably wasn't optimistic enough because there was a stretch there where he was consistently falling in like like the six to 10 range in my weekly rankings. And he put to bed any concerns that his – uh, production in 2021 was largely or at least partially due to the fact that everybody was hurt in Detroit at that time and they were terrible on defense and they had to throw it. Just a casual 106 catch season this year. He's one that comes to mind. I think both Jaguars wide receivers come to mind. Christian yeah. Kirk, who had the first thousand yard recept, uh, receiving season in his career. Uh, he had a big touchdown outbreak as well, or breakout, I should say. And then Zay Jones, who you know, the, the money told you they were optimistic on those guys, and he was tremendous this year for the Jaguars. Zay Jones was, and he was a great value pick based off where he was going. And while Zay Jones was not the reason why you won your league, if he was the first wide receiver on your bench, you were sitting pretty during bye weeks and obviously got some big boom weeks down the stretch. Yeah, Zay Jones is the guy who really stands out to me because I remember this guy, you know, he was a guy that was kind of ridiculed early in his career. I mean, he was one of the least, by the numbers, least efficient wide receivers in the league, and he kind of bounced around. And then he started to put it together last year, but then changed teams again. You're like, all right, whatever. Is that going to be a flash in the pan? And then next thing you know, he's a top 30 wide receiver uh, in fantasy. So, uh, yeah, Zay Jones. Uh, Sean, uh, I know you like Zay. Is is he kind of your biggest surprise or? Um, yeah, no, he's obviously one of the biggest surprises. So is Christian Kirk. I mean, we we knew that he had upside as the Jaguars number one wide receiver, but you know, he was a borderline top 10 wide receiver this year. So he was a surprise for me. I think the breakout guy was Garrett Wilson, though, for me, because, you know, I thought for sure he was going to end up at Atlanta. Um, so I was surprised that the, the Falcons took Drake London, um, but I didn't like the landing spot because the Jets already had you know, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, who we thought was really good. Uh, but, you know, Garrett Wilson finished wide receiver 19 as a rookie, despite just a very volatile QB situation. So he's only getting it better. The situation around him will only get better. So I'm very excited to see him uh, heading into next season. Uh, one, one other name I'll throw out. I mean, his point per game production wasn't great, but he did finish uh, in the top 40. Uh, Curtis Samuel, I don't think anybody saw him. <laughs> Him kind of sneak it in there, but yeah, uh, waves, right? there he was, wide receiver 31 uh, to finish the year. It was kind of waves for Curtis Samuel too, right? Because like the first, I want to say three weeks, he was awesome. Like remember the entire passing offense for the commanders was like ridiculous out of the gates. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking for Curtis Samuel, I was like, as long as they keep doing what they've been doing, this should persist because it wasn't just target volume. He was getting carries and you were like, ah, 
I remember this guy who in the last half of his final season in Carolina was being used really creatively to why he earned that big contract with the commanders kind of had some shades of his Ohio state utilization as well. And that kind of tapered off. And then the quarterback change took place. And I know that sometimes uh, these things get a little bit overblown, but it certainly seemed like the Taylor Heineke and Tara McLaurin connection slash chemistry was real, real enough that it, seemed to have an impact on, on McLaurin going in the right direction and others going in the wrong direction in that offense. All right, let's let's pivot to bus because I can I can uh, think of so many off the top the of my head, head at wide receiver. Like so we got to get through a bunch of these guys. So so start us off field. Uh who 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 comes to mind first for wide receiver bus? Mike Evans. And he got totally augured by that late season game, but <laughs> look at where he was in the weeks prior to that, right? So Mike Evans. I'm going to read you the game log from weeks nine through week 16 fantasy points per game, 9.0, He went a stretch from week four to week 17 without scoring a touchdown. This is Mike Evans, who in the three seasons prior to this year had more receiving touchdowns than any player in the NFL. You were drafting Mike Evans, understanding he does have his occasional bus week, right? but it's always offset by the massive breakout weeks. And he had just two games over 20 fantasy points this season. Now they were two massive games, 30.3 in one week and 48.7 in the other. But the reality is that there was a six or seven week stretch where you reluctantly played Mike Evans or you regrettably played Mike Evans. So he's the bust for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mike Evans, and then of course, I mean, he bails people out. So, I mean, at, at least that, at least he did that in the, in the uh, championship week with the yeah. three touchdown game. But I mean, who was, I don't even know how many people were starting him by then, but, uh, I mean, there's so many other guys that come to mind. I mean, oh, there's uh, a ton. uh, Elijah Moore, yeah. uh, Darnell <laughs> Mooney. Wait, Elijah um, Moore. Who's he? Does he play? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, there are some guys that were expected to kind of be their team's, you know, go-to guy. And just completely, I mean, I think Elijah Moore probably is at the top of my list just because, yeah. you know, even with Garrett Wilson breaking out, like for Elijah Moore to just disappear, it was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, Deontay Johnson was disappointing, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. like yeah. Just zero touchdown scored, which is obviously it's, it's tough to do when you have 86 catches. It's never been done before. DJ Moore got hot down the stretch, but he was quiet for a long time too. Like, and as we know with, with these wide receivers, it's not like these guys have changed in terms of who they are physical skill set wise, right? A lot of it is just the circumstances or the quarterback or the offense changes. And that seemed to really undo a ton of wide receivers this year. I got I got another name before we move on. All right. Ellen Robinson. Thank you. That's, oh, what, yeah, that's oh, what I was going to say. I know. Oh, I know. man. Because like the, the hype, it just kept growing and growing. And next thing you know, he's like a top 30 wide receiver in ADP. We couldn't and, figure out what to do. Oh. We, we got, we got our brains got turned into a pretzel with that one. Oh, Dumb. Dumb. I mean, yeah, that it was, there was just a, 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 land, a bunch of landmines and like, you could, you could have drafted like Mooney, Moore, Robinson, like back to back Cortland Sutton was in there. Like just so many busts in that like low, low end uh, or high end wide receiver three, I guess you call it. Yep. But uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's go to tight end and oh, uh it's interesting here, right? Yeah, who who surprised yeah. you at tight end, Phil? Oh man. Well, so let's 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 talk positively first. I'll give you a couple of names here. And 
for tight ends, you really have to be much more focused in on like stretches of time as opposed to the full season. But the two that come to mind for me, TJ Hawkinson, who was good for two teams this year, had the massive game early on in the season for the Lions. And then I think he had a bagel like the following week. I think it was literally like 37 points one week and then zero the next. Let me check that. Um, okay, 39.9 followed up by 1.6. He got Belichicked uh, in week five by the Patriots, who yep. held him to just one catch after that monster game against Seattle. Um but played really well for the Vikings, played well in the playoffs at the big game in the semifinal week where he had those two touchdowns and the 13 catches. And then Evan Inger obviously was very good as well for the Jaguars uh, as the season wore on. It wasn't quite like fire out of the gates with a massive, massive season for Evan Ingram, but he kind of hit his stride in the last third or so of the season and was a useful, reliable, could count on you tight end. Um, and then other guys, it's like certain stretches. Right? Dalton Schultz was good when Zach Prescott played. Uh, Cole Komet had some moments as well. Um, but I think the story of tight end is probably more disappointment than it is celebrating guys this year. Yeah. I mean, you look at the the top 10 and I'm looking like Tyler Higby's number six. And <laughs> I mean, right? he had like a couple of weeks here and there. Um, Komet, same thing. Like he didn't really do anything to the second half. Uh, Schultz was up and down. Yeah. Taysom Hill was tight end eight. Taysom Hill, Hill, who had the one week, what was it, like a wave, he had three rushing touchdowns, was like the only, it was like the first player ever with like three rushing touchdowns as a quarterback. It was some ridiculous, like broke some sort of record. And that also accounted for like 20 some percent of his production. But uh, it just is a reminder of how thin and desperate the position can get in a hurry and talented guys, right? Like Hayden Hurst, talented player, 105.4 fantasy points for the season. Um, Austin Hooper, Chica Conquell. I'm looking at some of the names in that range. Mike Kosicki, Hunter Henry. Like these guys all can play. It's just that volume or crowded skill group rooms have prevented them from making a major impact. Yeah, I think the answer is, you know, the surprises were just Saints tight ends, like Juwan Johnson yes. yeah. and Taysom Hill, right? I mean, Sean, I mean, I feel like every week I was like, we got to fade Juwan Johnson. He's he's not going to keep catching touchdowns. And he just kept catching touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's a touchdown dependent tight end that constantly scored touchdowns. Exactly. <laughs> well, damn it. Uh, all right. Let's uh let's go to uh bust. And I mean, it feels like a lot of these guys, even like I'm looking at a top five guy who I feel like was a bust field, but uh curious yeah. to your thoughts on yeah, the uh, answer is Mark Andrews. Yeah. And uh and I, I hate to say that for Mark because it wasn't like he was terrible relative to the position. He had nearly 850 receiving yards. He had 73 catches this year. Uh, there were plenty of spirited debates about whether Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews should be tight end one coming into the season. Uh, Kelsey only had 125.8 more points over the course <laughs> of the year. So uh, I think we know which one that or which way that one should have leaned towards. Uh, it's also fair to point out that Mark Andrews played in a much different offense. Lamar Jackson was hurt for a good chunk of it. <clears throat> they aren't nearly as inclined to throw the football as Kansas City is. Um, but the problem is that you paid a real premium on Mark Andrews. Uh, it was going at like, you know, early second round in some leagues. Heck, people were willing to take him in a large league, a 16-team league. People were were willing to take the positional edge early and take him 16th overall. And for the first five or six weeks of the season, it looked like you had made the exact right call. Part of it was when Lamar was going crazy. But even when Lamar cooled off a little bit, he was at 22.9 fantasy points or more in four of his first six games. 22.9. 
Then you go down the stretch and he had a four week stretch where he had less than 10 fantasy points in each of those four games. So uh, not exactly a, a great year for Mark Andrews by the standard he set for himself. Yeah. And that just shows you how, you know, the, the state of the position when he still finished top five <laughs> after <laughs> all that. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's go, let's get some postseason predictions uh, on the board here. Uh, you know, obviously most fantasy leagues are wrapped up now, but Tons of our listeners, they're still going to play DFS, join playoff leagues, all that good stuff. So uh, looking at the playoff landscape field, who are some players you see uh, breaking out for a huge fantasy performance in the wildcard weekend or just, you know, throughout the postseason? Perhaps? Well, by the way, I'd like to, and I'm, you guys are, I'm sure, aware of this format, but it's a fun thing for those that maybe are looking to have some involvement uh, in the fantasy playoffs, but don't have the right format. This is something fun that a group of uh, colleagues and friends do uh, that I'm a part of at ESPN and you build a 16 team roster. Our format is three quarterbacks, three running backs, four receivers, three flex, one tight end, two defenses. And you get to pick, you must pick one player from each of the 14 teams. And then you have two players from two teams. So if you wanted to take Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, you could, if you wanted to take Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb, you could, but you'd have to then just pick one player from any of the other, from the remaining uh, remaining 12 other teams. So it's a fun way, and it's, there's obviously strategy involved, right? So this week, you know, my, my strategy is going to be probably the same every single time I do this, is I view the Bills as a very decided favorite over the Dolphins. That thus I will uh, sort of punt my Dolphins pick, right? So I'll pick Dolphins defense, right? Like if I get two points from the Dolphins defense, I don't care. I'd rather not waste a wide receiver spot on Tyreek Hill, who might get you 20 this week, right? But he's gone after this week. So uh, it's a fun way to play. Um, but anyway, that that was neither here. Uh, well, it is here in there. As far as um, uh, defenses to attack or players to look at for DFS, George Kittle is probably the most like popular name you'll hear going up to this week because they play the Seahawks. And uh, I know the Cardinals forever have been the defense that allowed the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. The Seahawks overtook them by the end of the season. George Kittle had a great game against them uh, late in the season. Kittle seems to be one of the chalkiest DFS plays that is worth the price that you are likely getting him for, which will be, I'm imagining on most sites, the most expensive tight end, most expensive tight end for the wild card round uh, with Travis Kelsey unavailable because he's on the bye. And then obviously Mark Andrews playing with somebody not named Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Kittle is, you know, he, and he, he balled out against the Seahawks in that. What was it? Uh, he got like two tight, two touchdowns in that last game. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, uh, he, he went crazy. Uh, anyone else though? Other players to consider for this week. Uh, basically I'm avoiding the entire Dolphins passing game, um, which makes, so you have some obvious pivots here. Um, I'm actually pulling up a schedule right now to remind myself of uh, which day and which thing is happening. But I think the Jaguars and uh, and Chargers game could be higher scoring than maybe uh, the current forecast is. So there's going to be one of those Jaguars wide receivers that kind of goes off. Um, and I need to think longer and harder about who I want to pick amongst those Jaguars wide receivers before I put my foot down definitively. How about you guys? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like stumping myself on a Jaguars wide receiver. So buy me some time here. There's somebody that comes to Sean, mind. Sean, Where I know you, you got guys? some guys. Sean, you got we someone. Got uh, yeah, so for the entire playoffs, uh, yeah. I'm going with Gabe Davis um, because, you know, he's struggled down the stretch. Um, yeah. And I think some of that had to do with Josh Allen's elbow injury in week nine. I think uh, Josh Allen played that down a bit, but it was certainly impacting his decision making not to throw it downfield as much as he typically does. But last week, he certainly likely had, he had that 
arm strength that that throw to digs was amazing so yeah. um and as we were talking about before we went on um ellen's scrambling a bit less so we could just see more pass attempts to go around but um similar to last year uh in the playoffs i think gabe davis is going to have some strong performances and then for this weekend specifically i would have to go with kate otten at tight end um you know so he's a rookie tight much end. deeper than i oh yeah, yeah this is like a dfs it. play for sure but uh yeah. he's you know been fairly quiet of late um, and last week they bubble wrapped him. He only ran around on 24% of dropbacks, but they've been treating him like the true number one tight end in that offense for a couple months now. Um, so I expect him to run around on 80, 85% of Tom Brady's dropbacks uh, this week. And, you know, rookie tight ends typically take a while to adjust to the position in the NFL. So he's only going to get better. Could break out with a big game this weekend. Like it. Yeah. Daniel Jones also won again uh, for this weekend that I think is compelling, which this is just like, I, I, and I'm playing, these are all like anybody out there is who's going to be playing in a tournament, like avoid these picks because they're going to be unanimously rostered, I would think. But uh, as we know, Daniel Jones in the one game against the Giants, uh, against the Vikings earlier this year, just totally carved them up defense. Uh, that that pass defense, as we know, is as bad as it could possibly be. Um, that's, that to me is like that's the is it, is it too obvious of an upset pick the Giants over the Vikings this weekend? It just feels like if everybody's going to be on one upset pick, it's the Giants over the Vikings, right? I mean, the Viking team is bottom five in DVOA. It's not a great team, you know. It, it that defense is just not good. So totally. they can what every game they've won, it's been like one possession pretty much. So yeah, I, I it's, the, it's it's absurd. <laughs> like, and the thing is that like. <laughs> It's going to go one of two ways because, and I don't listen, every fan base has fans that are like fired up positively or negatively. And like they either bother you beyond just like beyond word, or you're just like, you have to kind of accept it. Like every fan base has fans that maybe are like a little bit too passionate for their own good. Right. But what at like on Sunday, you're either going to have one cross section of football fans. I'll just say fans in general who are going to be saying, I told you so like, this team stunk. They stunk all year. And it finally, when it came to a game that mattered the most, they were finally exposed. Or Vikings fans are going to say, keep doubting us, you know, 13 and four, now 14 and four, like keep counting us out. That's what you guys have been doing all year. I do believe, though, that if the Vikings do manage to get past the Giants this upcoming weekend, that the clock strikes midnight when they play the San Francisco 49ers in round two of the playoffs. Absolutely. I mean, this this team, every time they've been in one of those situations, too, where it's like they were underdogs against the Lions and their fans are like, yo, hey, what's going on here? Like, I got blown out against the Cowboys, blown out. Packers, and that was the blown one. Out. Like, <laughs> Cowboys were the one where you're like, wait, what? Like coming off of the Bills win and they're home to the Cowboys and you're like, no, no, no. Like, what are they going to respect them? At the time, they were eight and one. And then it was like, oh, they lost 40 to three. Good call. This team is not who we thought they were. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Field. Uh, this was this was great. Uh, what are you up to once the season ends? I know you've been just grinding all season. So uh, what do you what do you usually get into? You know, once it ends. Well, this is fun. So a week from now, the first draft podcast uh, for anybody who loves the NFL draft will be back. It's myself and. Try to think of like who's the least important third member of a band in the history of music, um, because that's me in this case. I've got myself with Todd McShay and Mel Kiper Jr., who are you know the preeminent voices in draft coverage, regardless of network. So I basically play quarterback, no point guard. They might even point guard. I just sort of sit there and stand in between them and get them from one topic to the next. But I can't wait for it. The two of them have so much passion for what they do. 
first draft continue, uh, starts up next Wednesday. So uh, January 18th, we'll be going live on YouTube uh, plus the podcast form. Then uh, fantasy focus is going to keep going this off season once a week. And like, we don't know what we're going to talk about yet. Like we, we will talk about fantasy football, but we don't know if it's going to be, is it all looking backwards? Is it all looking forwards? Is it, it's probably going to be some of both, right? Like the five things we wish we had done differently this past year, uh, the five things we're going to do differently next year. Uh, but the fantasy focus will have a bigger presence than usual uh, this off season, which is exciting. Awesome, man. Yeah, this is really great field. Thank you so much. Uh, for sure. your time today. It's been a pleasure as always. And before we let you go, tell uh, tell our listeners about uh, your friends over at Sling TV. Yeah, if you're looking for the best, most affordable way to watch as much football as humanly possible, who do we decide was the best overall value in fantasy this year? Like, are we going to go with like, is it Geno Smith? If you're looking for the Geno Smith or the Josh Jacobs of ways to watch football, it will be Sling TV. Uh, I spent my Sundays watching Red Zone with Sling, which I'm sure many people who are listening to this podcast love Red Zone as well. It's a great way to do so. You can watch your local team as well. Uh, but I found that Sling is the perfect marriage of convenience uh, and exactly what I want. I can kind of cater it to my needs and my desires and uh, a little easier to scroll through like a smaller portfolio of channels that is much more in line with what I want to be watching anyway. So I've appreciated my partnership with Sling uh, for many years. And if you're either thinking about a change of service or or somebody who is currently relying exclusively on the internet for uh, all of your digital media needs, Sling will be a great way to get back into the game. Awesome. And just uh, tell everybody where they can find you uh, before we get out of here, just in case they don't know. If you're looking uh, at yeah, Twitter, <laughs> I, I, say, I, I try to funnel most stuff through the, through through Twitter. So Field Yates, which is a very innovative name, uh, Field Yates on Twitter. That's as simple as it gets for me. There you go. Field Yates on Twitter. You can follow Sean at the underscore oddsmaker. You can follow me at Chris Raybon and be sure to check out actionnetwork.com for all of our fantasy football projections, content, uh, and betting content as well. Until next time, let's get this money. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.